Sammy. And this is the Holistic Heart Podcast, the place for all things therapy and mental health. We know navigating the human experience can be as challenging as it is beautiful. So we wanted to create a space where we can dive deep into self-exploration, normalize the struggle, and hold space for hard topics and conversations. We are so excited to have you join us on this journey. Hi, and welcome to the Holistic Heart Podcast. I'm Kristen, and I'm here as usual with Sammy. Hello. And then today we are also joined by our lovely clinician, Lauren, uh, to talk a little bit about conscious childcare. So Lauren, it's so exciting to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Do you want to just start off by telling us, I know you approached Sammy and I with this topic and I think it's such a good one. Um, So yeah, if you want to start maybe by just telling us what inspired you to talk about this today and what, why it's coming up and why you thought it would be important. Yeah. um, So, you know, working with clients that bring up um, this topic to some degree and also like personally, um, even with the pandemic, just a lot of like emphasis on just working with, how do we work with kids, their whole selves? How do we kind of just move through even as educators? Mm -hmm. So this topic of conscious childcare, yes, it speaks to parenting, but also to any caregiving, anybody involved in caregiving for children, or even people who know people who are working with or caring for children. Um, it just, there seems to be just like a need. There's a lot of information out there. A lot of people are sifting through trying to figure out what's the right thing to do, um, around raising kids or caring for kids. So I just thought it'd be useful to have a podcast to give some insight and resources around that. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. I think it's a great topic. And like, um, I was so excited when you, you know, brought it up to us because I think it is like you're saying such a, and almost like, I'm sure for, for people who are parenting, it's at the forefront, but I'm not parenting. It's not necessarily at the forefront, but I think sometimes it's like something that you don't realize you could use some resources around. And then when you hear them, you're like, oh my gosh, that's so helpful. I'm like, glad I heard that or thought about, I hadn't thought about it that way, or it's, um, you know, like great to learn this particular perspective around it. And so sometimes I think it can even be, it might be something that you absolutely realize that you can benefit from, but I think it also is the kind of thing that you, it might be like sneaky and how it can be actually really beneficial. You don't realize it until you're hearing about it, that you're like, oh yeah, it's like really great to hear about or learn about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Lauren, I remember the first time that you um, brought this to my attention and we were talking about, um, Dan Siegel's The Whole Brain Child. And I was like, that, I don't have my own kids. I also read this a long time ago. And I was like, this, that was a transformative book for me, even in my own personal journey and like, like reparenting, self-parenting kind of experience too. And so there's just so many, to me, it's like very expansive. So you can apply it specifically to parenting if you're a parent yourself, but it goes so far beyond that. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And yes, like Dan Siegel um, and um, Tina Payne Bryson, like the co the co author. So there are a couple of resources. And at the end, um, I'll list some resources. So if people need to like just skip to the end at some point. If you're reviewing the podcast, those will be there. Um, but yeah, that's it. Because and I like you brought up reparenting because that's a lot of it. Like conscious childcare, like it brings up stuff. It brings up a lot about what we don't know. And what we don't know, we don't do, mm -hmm. um, whether it's like for children or for ourselves. So it, it does impact both like kind of forward and backwards, like, you know, generation stuff. Um, yeah. And I think like that's where to speak to like Dan Siegel, like being educated on developmental stages. And a lot of times, um, we think of like developmental stages for like babies and toddlers and things like, oh, they should walk by this time or say their first words. And, you know, that's fair. And that's usually where it starts. But, um, and also there's, you know, respect to the influence of cultural norms and neurodivergence and environmental factors too, when we talk about developmental stages. So that's impactful. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times there's not a lot of education around what to reasonably expect mm -hmm. from children through early adulthood mm -hmm. and so that creates a lot of problems and a lot of friction and tension that doesn't need to be there either you know mm -hmm. so like once again if you don't know what you don't know and the more you know about developmental stages the more realistic expectations you have it increases your confidence mm -hmm. and it reduces decision fatigue of like wondering and stress and all of that. So um, whether you're, like I said, whether you're parenting or a caregiver or an educator, um, family member, friend, like those things really count as far as being supportive and helpful in conscious childcare, because just to even explain conscious childcare, that's like being working with children with intention. You know, like you're, you're thinking about what you're doing. You're not just on autopilot and we'll speak to this in a little bit, but like, you know, the fact that we live in such a busy world with pace of life and stress, there's not always a lot of time, you know, to be intentional, although that's something we promote for everyone, regardless of interactions with children. But, you know, that is what intentional conscious childcare is. It's like actually thinking and not just going on autopilot. Um, with what we experienced or knew back then. And sometimes it's like, we know like if something worked and we like, we'll just do that. Mm -hmm. Or if it didn't work, we'll just do the opposite. But mm -hmm. that's still not like fully intentional. It's, it's like a, it's a reaction versus like an intentional response. Mm -hmm. um, I think of like this example where a lot of us grew up with stranger danger. Mm -hmm. right like it's like okay strangers are the problem you want to stay away from strangers you have the image of like the sketchy man with the van and the candy and all that stuff and it's like you know if you haven't kind of like been educated or offered resource like today they actually focus more on strange behavior because mm -hmm. research shows that usually the problems are with people children somewhat know or the family somewhat know and it's not mm -hmm. usually a stranger but if you don't have the energy, time, resources, access, or even awareness that that's been brought to your attention, that they're doing this now and it makes more sense, then you don't know what you don't know. So that's where kind of the conscious part comes in um, around like education, but also in the moment. So, yeah. Yeah.
Lauren, when you say like educating yourself on the developmental stages, I feel like I have a sense of what you're talking about, but I want to make sure I am interpreting it correctly. Are you thinking like in addition to the sort of um, sort of life stage milestones that you described, uh, like also what we could reasonably expect, like psychological and emotional development wise? Is that like, so I think like, I think of times where, you know, not being someone who's around children the majority of the time, I'm like talking to a five-year-old. I don't know. I don't know what's reasonable to act like to you. How are you? How aware are you of me? And what's reasonable, uh, like as far as um, expecting you to consider, right? Like that outward focus and where is, you know, what are the dynamics of that? Can you perspective take, what level of perspective taking are you at? You know, like, um, I think like, is that the stuff that we're talking about there or was it something different? No, absolutely. Yes. Thank you for the clarification because yeah, it's not just like physical milestones, but also like cognitive. So the mind, like mental, um, what's like brain capacity, brain development. Um, I think of like, even once again, bringing it up to older kids, like teenagers are still developing like long-term planning prefrontal cortex. So it's like, they may not be interested in looking at colleges because, you know, not that all of them, but it's like, that's kind of far, like that's next year. Mm-hmm. That's not right now. And prom is right now. And that's, what's important. You know, like that's just part of their framework. And it's not to say we can't challenge that, but you have to know what the framework is. Otherwise it's like, well, they're just not thinking or they're being, you know, lazy or this, you know, it's like, that's not what's happening. So we want to be able to just label it accurately and create less tension all around. And then social and emotional, like you were mentioning too. So absolutely, like what's expected emotionally. A lot of times like kids around a certain age, like elementary, they get like sneaky, you know, and it's like, oh my God, is my kid like, you know, a, a problem is this? And it's like, part of that is like, they're seeing what they can get away with. They're testing boundaries. It's like, when we see that as normal, we're less likely to also blame ourselves, whether once again, whatever caregiving you are around like, my God, it must be something I did or not doing or, you know, so it's also yeah. like taking some pressure off that. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, so it's all of those things. And the CDC has a good um, website and it has like a, if you look up like child development basics, there's like a, a sheet and there's different ages and stages towards the bottom. So you can kind of get an idea. Once again, respect to cultural norms and neurodivergence um, environment, but can just any information can just be even a little bit more supportive around working with intention. All right, based on what I know, I'm going to address it this way versus kind of just guessing and throwing things out there. Yeah. Well, and that is like, it's such important information because I think as adults, and we do this with each other as we're interacting with other adults, but specifically if you're interacting with and you're like, well, from my developmental space right now, if I were doing that, this is what the intention would be. This is what would be happening. But it's such a different experience if it's like, oh, that's rich. That's like they're developing and they're learning and growing and that's what should be happening. But we're we're sort of normalizing things from a, a different perspective there. And when we are able to lean into educate ourselves and also identify where um, I feel like the developmental stages are... Uh, what's the word like um arbitrary in that everybody is going to reach things in different ways at different times but when you learn about and you can see like oh this makes sense and i'm seeing my child has this behavioral pattern that's coming up but like 
this makes that make sense. Whereas like I'm experiencing it as just like, why are they like never listening to me and just wanting to do their own thing? And then you're looking at like, oh, they're learning independence and how, you know, to perspective take in the world and things like that. Yeah, exactly. No, you can totally um, see where that like zooming out can be like supportive and relevant to just like even better like dynamics within a system, whether it's a family system, an educational system, a, a community, um, it all makes a difference, which mm -hmm. is kind of like the, like the next thing is as a, as someone who is interacting with kids, parenting, working with, um, you know, you have to take into account that kids behavior is often a message and it's not a direct attack on your authority. You know, and the less knowledgeable that we are, the more anxious we are, the more we feel reactive versus responsive, because it feels like a direct reflection of our parenting, our teaching, our interactions. And it's like, that's where caring and recognizing also for ourselves um, and having like compassion, having um, self like regulation and just, you know, I use like compassionate accountability where it's like, okay, like I'm not in a good place. Like right now I'm around X, Y, or Z, I'm stressed, I'm this, I'm that. So that's gonna impact how I'm gonna interact. What can I kind of do to regulate my own self? Um, and we also model that. The other thing too is like the pace of life that we live. Um, there's a lot of stress, a lot of overscheduling. Um, so kids' behavior is often seen as inconvenient and detracting from getting things done, whether it's even for their own things, like activities, um, et cetera. So it's like, we put it on them, like, you're not putting your shoes on fast enough when it's really, we didn't leave enough time for this, mm -hmm. you know, based on realistic expectations. Um, but so it is kind of like zooming out a little bit and saying, you know, are they hangry? Mm -hmm. Are they tired? Do they need to decompress? Do they need connection? I mean, that's what a lot of, you know, when we talk about like, raising kids like it's all communication we have to look at every behavior as communication for something at a given point mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you bring up like such a lot of really important points and I, what's standing out to me is the like self-regulation piece for us as adults interacting with children and one the modeling aspect of that but two in the ability to like not take their behavior personally to like um, be able to recognize it as like what you're describing Lauren, as as communication and try to understand the message or like also for us to be able to have the like sort of self-regulation and baseline to be able to stay with them as they figure something out you know right like if, so that idea of like whether it's putting their shoes on or whether it's you know, regulating a strong emotion to not, I feel like I hear, um, you know, like just stressed parents and stressed caregivers, like, Hey, we got to like move on from that. You know, we got to keep going. We got to do the next thing. And like, I get it. Cause everyone's schedules are so crammed and full. And also I think, um, we like a lot of times I know like my parents generation for sure communicated with us, like, just, you just get over it. Like just stop crying and don't do that. Um, like there's no modeling of self exploration or like awareness or identification or naming of that emotion or like how to work through that emotion. And it makes me think of, 
what you shared earlier about developmental stages and knowing like they might be still learning how to do this, not like they do, you're telling them to just calm down and they don't know how to do that. Um, and so there might be some instruction and modeling and like paralleling that might be needed there, but also how much that requires us to be regulated ourselves. Because if we are at like nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10, we're not going to have the space to be patient where mm -hmm. a child is still learning something, I would imagine. Yeah. And, you know, that speaks to two things. So like one is like, as an individual, how can we lean into that more without adding more to one's plate? <laughs> so I always try to say like self-care, how do you overlap it? So if you're having kind of a tough day, you know, um, and you're going to be with your own kids or with kids in general, how can you bring them into like that? You invite them in like, you know what? I need to do some stretching or I'm feeling kind of like tense. Let me just like shake it out um, or breathe, you know? So it's like, we have to overlap with what's available and not just, you know, say, okay, I got to go sign myself up for a massage or something. That's not always accessible, mm -hmm. um, nor should it be like, have to be the way that we live our lives, you know, well. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing too is like you, this is all like ideal, right? So like the day-to-day -day, we are going to make mistakes. We are going to yell. We are going to shut out. Um, and you know, you're going to feel bad about, about it, but you have to acknowledge feeling bad about it. That's like compassion and accountability because if you acknowledge it, then you can address it and move on versus stuff it down. And because like, oh, I don't, I feel so bad. I don't want to like bring it up again. No, 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 bring it up. Mm -hmm. You know, take that accountability, model that and say, listen, I was having a bad day. I yelled, um, you know, that was, and this is where the authority thing comes in. This is not a challenge to your own authority. It's just owning your stuff. And mm -hmm. then modeling that, um, saying, you know, I, I had a bad day or whatever, um, you know, I apologize, can we, you know, move on, you know, like checking in with them and they'll respond and they'll model that back. You know, I think of an experience where I was told, you know, I, like, I don't like it when you shut me out or shut down. It's like, okay. I'm like, well, I understand that. And I was just kind of overstimulated and overwhelmed and that's my way of trying to self like regulate and, you know, but I can be aware of that. I can know that that's what it looks like to you and, you know, try and shift that or communicate that differently when I'm in a, like a space to do that. You know, we need a break. Sometimes you need to decompress, you need to move on, which is next, like the bigger picture of the, the culture and how that impacts. And, um, that's the other half of this, at least where, I say like moving toward village versus vigilance. Mm -hmm. A lot of parents, caregivers, educators feel so overwhelmed by information out there, the social media, this, do this kind of parent, this, that. And for every type, there's a counter argument and it's very confusing. Um, there's also more observation and judgment and lack of support. So it's like going out and being afraid of what people are going to say about you. Are they going to record it? Are they going to report you like things that you wouldn't have thought of, you know, if you were parenting or caregiving in seventies, eighties, nineties, you know, this is a new thing and people feel really uncomfortable. I hear that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of like, how do we move more towards village versus vigilance? Um, so before I talk to like, speak to that. Yeah. I'll just say that if you guys have comments or questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I am hearing that 
overall theme that we've all spoken to of compassion. And I think that like when I was hearing you say that the overlap, I love that. I often call it like habit stacking or like work um, smarter, not harder. Like, okay, this doesn't have to be an added thing. And there's like, there's so many things going on there. There's reparenting yourself that's going on there. There's showing like, even when we look at the developmental stages, you can see like, oh, we're holding compassion and understanding and more space around that. And how could we also do that for ourselves? Because to me, that's like the modeling piece is so huge. And it's so such a, um, a big piece. And to be able to say like, oh, we can do this. Hey, we can do it together. Like you said, like, you know what, let me name how I'm feeling. And let's take some deep breaths together while I'm doing this. And now you're regulating yourself, you're modeling at the same time for your child. But you're also modeling for that inner child part that maybe and probably likely in that scenario, that space wasn't held for you by a parenting figure in your own childhood. So you're able to give yourself this renewed experience as well, which is also modeling for your child or the child in your life. Absolutely. And I think like, you know, a lot of times when people are like, well, like I didn't need to know that, like, and I made it through my childhood and I'm okay. And it's like, sure, that's fair. Like you are, we're resilient and that's great but we can still do better. It's like fear is often a motivator. That was what was used. You didn't, people didn't know what the expectations were developmentally, what was reasonable. So it was just like, do this or there's going to be a punishment. And I do mean punishment, not a consequence because there's a difference. So it's like, there was fear motivating a child to behave or act a certain way. It wasn't intrinsic. It wasn't being developed. It's, and now that behavior is associated with fear going into adulthood. So we're really just trying to like, move away from that when we can. And there, there's a place for like extreme, like things like safety or whatever, like just kind of grabbing and out of the way of harm or something like that. But overall fear as a motivator has limits. And so we're looking at, well, what are the other options going forward for that? Mm -hmm. But yeah, even the village. So like, just to speak to that, like, there's a lot of potential for more village. And we've just come out of a very isolating time pandemically, especially for people who either are parents or caregive or work with children. Um, and, you know, support doesn't always mean like we can get very creative with it. And that's where I think there's a lot to do here. So it's like, even if you don't like kids, <laughs> if you don't want to interact with them. There are ways that like support does not mean interaction like it could be sharing resources like hey I listened to this podcast thought you might be interested you know if you have a friend um even like I think of like school like you know sometimes donating like to a cause or even like a school system where maybe you can pay for a kid's like lunch balance and that's one less stressor on a family that's kind of going through hard times or things like that so there's lots of different creative ways besides in person um but mostly even like patience like when you're out at that's the thing too like this culture expects so much around like we're so bad with being inconvenienced right now and it's like if you're out grocery shopping and this parent is having a kid with a meltdown have some patience like do some breathing you know just don't add more like that's village that's village like it doesn't have to be super interactive i think we all know what could be supportive if you yes you can offer child care or, you know, hanging out with people who are doing it or all that stuff that's more obvious, but kind of zooming out and being a little creative, even just being patient around that, being okay with being a little inconvenience that children exist in our 
loud and you know obnoxious and maybe a little gross sometimes <laughs> and that's okay you know like that kind of stuff too it makes me think too of how in talking about that self compassion piece i think self compassion breeds in a culture of compassion right so like right now we have a sort of hyper judgmental culture right like pe- parents and caregivers are concerned about how they're like they a lot of times i think i'm speculating of course not always but i think a lot of times in public at least parents attempts to get their children to behave differently are in large part because they don't want to quote unquote cause a scene or inconvenience other people or get the attention of others because they know that there's a high potential for judgment or criticism of them as as a result of their child's behavior. And I think that's something we own as a collective is that we look at parents when they're having a hard time or anyone who's in the position of caregiving around a child. And, you know, Lauren, your example about like a child having a tantrum in a, a grocery store, there's a high potential that people are looking at that and saying something, whether it's under their breath, whether it's to their partner that they're walking with or whatever there's, and there's a reason why people are afraid of being judged. And it's because judgment is happening, right? Like, and is normalized in our culture. So I think that village also can include approaching things with a compassionate lens and looking at this parent and and saying they're both having a hard time right now. (laughs) Like, I don't need to make this any worse. You know, how, like, I have a lot of compassion for this experience that must be so hard to be the child who's having this, you know, inability to regulate in this moment and this parent who, or a caregiver who is also trying to hold space for that while managing, you know, other people around them at the same time. And so I think that that's another thing without ever interacting with children directly necessarily that we just hold a compassionate lens and we collectively work to normalize that approach to each other rather than this like, Oh, if they or my kid would never or whatever that might be, I feel like has looked like for a long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm certainly not advocating like you know there can be like safe, I say safe, but like you know like more like quiet or like adult spaces or whatever. Like that's fine. You know, there's room for that too. But we also do share spaces like with a range of ages in different places, and it's like just like you said, having a little more compassion in general um, is part of the village mentality, more of a collaborative mentality, um, which is really, really helpful around this kind of conscious childcare, which does trickle out. Like, that's it. Like, you're then contributing to a generation of fairly well-adjusted adults that can make, you know, good decisions and contribute well to society and a culture as a whole. So, it's always like beneficial in that respect too. And as you've spoken to both of you, it also is cultivating in the caregiver generation benefits as well, right? Like when you can hold space for your child and say like, all right, we're going to normalize this and we're going to, and then you can learn to normalize it for yourself. That has ripple effects as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, and when you talk about it in a, like a village setting like that, I think of, I was at the store recently, um, and there were two, two children, separate families at two different parts of the store 
both just not having the best time and emotionally expressing that. And I saw it um, managed in like two very different ways. And, and you could see the, the experience, like the child's experience and the parent's experience was so different. And at the end of the store, I saw one that was still very much in their emotions. And, and so was the parent, of course. And we energetically as humans, we can feel that. And, um, and I saw, and, and it's like, I just was like really moved. And it's funny because this happened recently. And I was like, oh, this is like what we're talking about in a few days. And I think when you can, and I'm sure we've been talking about this, listeners, you're thinking about those kinds of experiences that you've had, maybe from the caretaking role or from just observational role. And you can see how I know, like when I witnessed the um, parent or caretaker, I'm not sure who it was to the child, um, just like get down on their level and say like, yeah, that's really upsetting that we can't get this. And yeah, that's like, let's like, what word describes that feeling? And I was like, Oh, and it's funny, like, I don't have my my own child right now to go and um, parent in that way necessarily. But it's something where it's like, oh, that experience impacted me. I was, you know, we're all a part of this village and that that can then have that ripple effect. And I think that can be applied to any kind of human interaction when you have those like um, seemingly simple moments that can be so profound with like between you and another person, but also those that you witness from other people too. And the more expansive that becomes, the more expansive it becomes. Yeah, definitely. That's a great observation. Yeah. And it's like either parent like that and that, and that parent or caregiver, you know, on a different day could have totally switched, like really? depending on like what else was going on. And so that's the other thing too. It's like our expectations of ourselves, like trickle down and our moods trickle down or like in or leak like into our relationships of any kind, but that also includes like children. So it's like when you're like feeling like you're expected to be a certain way, like so like the behaviors in different places and stuff, it's like we have to really examine our own expectations of ourselves at a given point and what's realistic and what energy we have as a result to use. Um, because that's it. And whether you're the caregiver or the observer, like it, it all matters, you know, yeah, around that and how do we like manage that as we become social again, even after a little hiatus from that, because there's that yeah. impact too. And that's the like double edgedness of it, I think is that like getting more conscious around interactions with children doesn't, doesn't have to look like holding yourself to an unrealistic expectation or standard of perfection, right? Conscious just means I'm aware of how this is going, whether it's retroactively aware or like in the moment able to be aware or like, I'm going to take accountability for this after the fact. It's like, we, you know, I always, often talk to people about like that ideal version versus like the real benefits of being in honesty. So it's like, okay, just like you just said, Lauren, sometimes you'll be the one parent and sometimes you'll be the other. And it's really not about always being the parent that does it the most intentional way, right? And responds in the way that would be most, the best possible conditions for the child every single time. But it's more about being human and being honest and being real and being accountable and intentional, right? So like that, like when I miss the mark, because I will miss the mark for a variety of reasons, I am able to say so. I'm able to, you know, there's like a generation of parents I think that would never seek 
like would never apologize to a child and be like and explain their behavior because they would think I'm the parent and you don't I don't need to explain anything to you like yeah I just you know, I was having an off day or whatever doesn't need to be said versus like, I even love the example you gave Lauren of um, when you had the conversation about being withdrawn. I don't like it when you're withdrawn. Even you saying, this is me trying to regulate. I would imagine helped that child say, okay, so it's not about me. Like what he, they were really saying in the moment is like, I'm worried that this is about me, you know, like maybe, right? Like, um, and so just having, being willing to have those conversations that say, I hear what you're saying, or I did this thing and like, here's the context around it. And here's also how I'm going to try to do better if that makes sense to say as well, right? Like, it's, so it's about that rupture and repair as opposed to trying to avoid rupture at all ever, because that's unrealistic. And that's actually really good modeling of like, sometimes we mess up, sometimes we miss, sometimes we have good intentions and the impact is not what, what we thought it was going to be. We, and so how do we also with our own behavior and our own self-compassion model, how to handle those situations. And then our children are experiencing that learning as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I like to like the emphasis on behavior. Like, you know, like, too, because that's what it is, too. Or like, like I always say, like, you know, we're not our relationships. Like, I'm whole and complete in myself and my journey. Whoever else, like, is whole and complete in themselves and their journey. It's what's between us that's workable. So that's where, like, what's being put in energetically or behaviorally, that's what can be addressed and worked with. Mm -hmm. So that's where also we take it less personally. And, it, you know, if we're not overwhelmed by shame or guilt or those other feelings. It's like, all right, yeah, I messed up, but uh, I can change the behavior or what I'm offering or how I'm offering or communicating something um, and vice versa. And this applies to any relationship. But a lot of times, like, good caregiving does focus on the behavior or the communication around something, not that you're bad or you're this or you're that it's what you've done or are not doing that we need to work with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know that we're around our time, but I want to check in with you, Lauren, and see, is there anything that we didn't cover that you feel like is important? Just, I know that we have resources coming also, but anything that you feel like we didn't hit on that you wanted to make sure we talked about? Um. No, I mean, I think that's kind of just like, kind of some basics that I thought, you know, having, like I said, having this come up in different ways, um, personally, professionally, that might be helpful starts. Um, Cause that's it too. It's just like having access and recognizing too, just the systemic part of it. In addition, that it is not a solo thing. This is not completely an individual, like to put on yourself. It's like, hopefully these actually take some stress off your plate and like expand your energy and consciousness. Yes. It might bring up feelings and like things from the past. That's, that is part of it, you know? Um, but overall that it's just helpful and supportive and not something more you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like you're saying a start of a conversation, like, of course this hasn't been an exhaustive conversation by any means, but a nice place to like, just start thinking about some of these things and how they apply yeah planting the seed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's it yeah planting the seeds right do you want to share those resources with us 
Yeah, I do. So just some resources that might be supportive when it comes to developmental stages. Like I mentioned earlier, the CDC website um, in the US, like it has a, if you type in the search, like child development basics, the whole page comes up that has some useful information at the bottom. There's different ages, even through like teens that can be helpful. Um, you can also talk to like pediatrician, educators, counselors, psychologists, like people you trust, but like that have education around this um, can be good resources too. Um, so like Sammy had mentioned too, Dr. Dan Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, on his website, he has resources. He has done a lot, the whole brain child. Sammy, when you were mentioning that parent in the shopping, like in the grocery store, I was thinking, oh, she's using name it to tame it. Just like getting down and like <laughs> yes. saying, naming what it is, giving yep. words to it. So like um, Dan Siegel is someone who's done also done other things besides like the, the children perspective, but he's very good at giving like kind of sound bites like that and like very easily structured information to access. The other person that worked with him on a lot of childcare stuff is Tina Payne Bryson, um, B-R-Y-S-O-N. And she has a web page too that has resources, a blog, other things like that. Um, so she also is a great resource for this. Um, two more. One is this site. It's a website, but she also has a lot of social media pages. It's called Parenting Decolonized. And mm -hmm. Yolanda Williams runs it. And that really addresses systemic issues well. She's a single parent child who's on the spectrum. Um, but she just, it, it's she has some really good stuff, really good insights, really helpful around the systemic piece. Um, and then the last thing is like some books for kids around social emotional learning that, that are really great, especially for younger kids up through like an elementary are um, the Ninja Life Hacks series by Mary Nin, N-I-N-H. And there's all kinds like anxious ninja, sensory ninja, angry ninja, patient. Like, so they go through a lot of things and there's little ways to like regulate self and all of those. So those are nice too. So those are just kind of a start, but some things that might be supportive for people looking to be um, working with children in a conscious way. Oh, those sound great. I want to get those books. <laughs> I know, especially the ninja books. Those sound amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for all of your wisdom and sharing of information and resources. I think this is a super helpful conversation to be having. So we appreciate you coming on. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Of course. Okay. And we will talk to you all in our next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.